Welcome to the 7 p.m. Cafe Podcast. Today, our guest is Mexican artist, actress, director, producer, and voice coach based in New York City, born and raised in Durango, Mexico. We got connected through Zoom to talk about her career. She has done film, television, and theater. Go grab your coffee, your tea, your favorite drink, and listen. Welcome to the 7 p.m. Cafe Podcast. Today, our guest is Valeria Alvina, Mexican artist, clown, director, producer, and vocal coach based in New York. Born and raised in Durango, Mexico, you went to school to University of Iowa. You have an MFA MBA in theater. You teach at Forham University Vocal Technique. Welcome, Alvina. Dale, dale. Pregúntame. Ah. <laughs> Before we start all the stuff that you have done, theater, film, TV, commercials, can you talk to us how did you start your interest in the arts? I mean, honestly, I always wanted to perform when I was a kid, but I didn't know how because I didn't grow up with a family to encourage, you know, the arts, basically. I, I had one remote uncle, just like being an actor in uh, Mexico City, but that was it. Other than that, you know, as you just said, I'm from Mexico, so I... Uh, a lot of the culture it was like the novelas and things like that uh so I was really my family never took me to that route but I always wanted I don't know there was something there that I always wanted to explore and when I was 15 I got the offer to to study at SEA which is the school of acting in Mexico City but it's, it's more focused on novelas and I'm you know I was 15 so teenager and I was like no I don't you know I want to have fun more with my friends so I ended up not I, I said no at the time thank goodness I guess I don't know it's the clown gods thank you <laughs> so I end up not going and I played tennis my whole life and um, I got a scholarship uh, to play tennis in America so I did and I left and my first year in college one of my teammates Felipe Acosta he I think he did the first season of Snowfall in effects anyway I met him we were on the same tennis team and I could hear him all the time like memorizing lines and talking about people in the team saying oh we're gonna go and see a play I never went to plays in Mexico. Like, I, I, honestly, I just never did any of that. And as, as soon as I saw him playing, you know, it clicked, something clicked. And he looked at me once. He was like, yo, why you don't go and take acting class? Just take an acting class and see how you feel. And I was really afraid because I, I just didn't, you know, I was not fluent in English. I was still struggling and I was afraid that I was not going to be able to memorize lines or whatever that means. I had no clue what the world was like. And as soon as I took basic acting That was it for me. I died. I died and something new happened. Yeah, I, I think it was the fact. I don't know. I remember rehearsing on my own because at the time there were not many people at theater department. It were like 10 of us. And I spent, I used to spend my time at the makeup room by myself. And I used to imagine me in the future and in the present just performing. And I did that for a while. Um, I think there was a poster of the new school of drama at the time, like 2011. And I think it was this guy trying to like entering the stage you know like the cameras from like from his back so you could see him lifting the you know the curtains so you can see just the light coming out of him so you can see the shadow of him I would never forget it like that too it was like I had that I want that image for me why I have no fucking I don't know if that makes sense but that's why <laughs> that's how I ended up falling in love I guess how you end up in New York I came 
uh, when I was in grad school, we were applying for like different companies and, you know, trying to find agents and things like that. And at some point I was doing my research and, you know, I don't know why I always knew I was going to go to New York, I guess, because Philippe, he was going to go and like the people who was older than me, they always talked about New York. And I was like, oh, I should go to New York too. And by the time I was in grad school, I had, I got chicken shit. <laughs> So I was like, oh, maybe I should go to Chicago first, you know, and then move to New York because, you know, we're humans, we're afraid. So I might as well go here and then later there. And I don't know, one day I started to research all of the artists, like Latino artists that live in Chicago and, and Latino artists that live in New York. And I got and I bumped into Raul Castillo and I shoot him a message on Facebook. Like he doesn't know me. I didn't know who he was, <laughs> but I think he just started to be a regular on looking. And I, I think his first TV series, he's huge now anyway. So I shoot him a text about like, hey, so this is where am I at in grad school? I don't know what to do. What do you think? And he said, Valeria, hi, first of all, nice to meet you. Why you want to go to one place if you're, if you want to end up here? Like, what's the point of, you know, like if you're going to drive to Mexico, why are you going to stop in, you know, Alabama for a week? Like go straight to Mexico. And I was like, you're right. What the fuck am I going to do with Chicago if I'm going to end up leading anyway so I can then I'm in New York so that's why I did it I was like that's the smartest decision so I didn't thought about it I was like you're right let's go to New York so how was the first few weeks first year in New York oh god <laughs> honestly I forgot about that shit but you know what I did it I was I was about to get my my voice certification and the certification was in um, LA so the, my goal was I'm moving to New York. I'm going to try to find a fucking job in two weeks and then go and get my certification. Like that was my, my goal. I think because I'm, I'm an Aquarius, so where I put my energy, that's where I focus on. So I came in, I move in, I end up walking. I used to live in the East Village. So I walked the East Village for like two weeks in a row, just asking for a job outside, you know, like every place. Hi, I'm looking for someone. Looking at nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't remember what happened next um maybe wow i don't even remember what happened um i oh yeah 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 i went to chelsea to walk around that area and i found this coffee shop owned by uh brazilians and i work as a barista when i was in grad school so i remember i had a quick interview with the guy and his first question was like do you know how to make coffee and i was like yeah he's like can you make a cappuccino for me and i was like sure so i came into the place made a cappuccino for him and he's like okay when do you want to start I think that was it and I started working as a barista in New York and then I left to LA for two months so basically I came in got shit done <laughs> leave so I didn't literally explore the city until later once I came back from LA for God <laughs> what was the first gig in New York first gig in New York I met uh, okay so this is my thing when I was when I was in grad school I made a list of all the theater companies I, I wish to work with uh, when before I moved to New York and one of the companies that I researched was Teatro Luna no Teatro Luna uh, she's gonna kill me anyway Alicia Capla I think it's Teatro Luna don't remember and I made with her because she lives close to Union Square one day and she's like hey I'm pulling out a show it's gonna be just puppets if you want to be in it it's like sure but I I 
didn't even act in it. I was just a fucking assistant. But she's she was my first contact to some of the Latino community and just theater. And then from there, I followed the list and I heard about Intar. I sent an email. Listen, when I moved to New York, I could give a fuck because I didn't know anyone. So mm-hmm. my first impulse was just to send emails and see if people wanted to take me in. And I remember I sent an email to Lou Moreno, the artistic director of Intar. And I was like, hey, Lou, you don't know me, but I know you. Can we meet? Do you have a, can you have a beer with me? And he replied saying, yeah, sure. So we met at a bar right next to Intar. And I said, hey, I heard about your company. I want to play. What can I do? And after that, it took me to the One Play Festival. And then I got to meet a lot of cool people in New York. But that was just me not being afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, what people are going to do. I'm just going to shoot them a message. At the time, we didn't have Instagrams, right? So it was all, um, I think Instagram just started. So Facebook was still a thing to get in touch with people. So that's what I did. I used to creep on people and send them messages on Facebook. <laughs> when did the gig at the Fordham University come in? The head of the acting at Fordham is Matthew McGuire. He he actually, we used to have a, like a short play festival back in grad school. So we used to have people from all over the country to come in. We have playwrights from all over. That's how I met Tania Saracho. Like we have a group of people that used to come in and, and, see, and see us performing. It was mostly for the playwrights, but as for actors, we could, we got to play for with new plays. Uh, so Matthew was one of the artists that used to, that he come to this school like every year. And for my last year, he found out that I was going to get my certification for Fitmore and then just one day I finished my performance and he sent me an email he's like hey I heard you're gonna go to New York I've heard that you're gonna get your, your certification if you wanna teach let me know let me know as soon as you move to New York and I was like okay so I moved to New York she gave him a message we met we had a cup of coffee and that was it <laughs> What are the challenges that you have found as being Mexican Latinx in the industry Oh my god. Uh one one is if you're not a citizen, not a lot of TV no- networks they're going to take your artist visa. So that complicates things for us because you know they just don't have the time to look at your audition. The first thing they see is your paperwork and then they could give a shit about what you can do. Of course, unless you're build a name and you know the producer, I think I believe that things might change. Other than that, just complicate things for us. Even I've heard I've heard passing I had that experience once but I've heard like some of the agents they won't take you in because you're not a citizen so that complicates again auditions so that's one big thing I guess it doesn't matter if I'm Mexican you know it's just mostly for foreigners as for Mexican I have white skin so that changes a lot whatever people has an idea of who Mm -hmm. they or how they the way we're supposed to look at like and behave that's always been against me in a way like in favor and against you know like I think it plays both ways you know everybody's like no way you're not from Mexico you know like I am so uh, it's kind of like re-educating people that whatever they think we look like not everybody does having an accent you know the tv industry is changing and and i think we're evolving it's taking a long fucking time but i think those are the biggest things as far as i remember but you know discri- discrimination goes in many ways being an immigrant not knowing if you're from whatever people you sound somewhere and people are already putting you into a different place oh you sound like blah 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 without you giving permission to like do you guess where i am from like none of us really say 
say hi and like hi my name is Melia can you guess where I'm from <laughs> but somehow a lot of the, this culture is like oh Lucy nice to meet you oh you sound where are you from you know it's like mm-hmm. right away rather than I don't know there's there's people like to enter into our lives going through that route first it's a little vulnerable for us I think you know um, of course one of the struggles was grad school because you work on on that thing that I don't believe on which is a neutral American accent so the, you know it's struggle because you want to sound like like an American but you know that you can control it but that doesn't mean it's going to change uh, completely so part of this is just embracing exactly who I am and the way I look like and if people want to work with me the way I look like great and if they don't I'm not going to fight it you know I, I guess I'm in the point in my life that I'm not going to change because they're asking me to because if not I won't get work somehow if I'm if I feel happy with how I look like then you know that's it for me now that you're talking about TV a little bit, talk to us about the experience in post because you were in one of the episodes. Yeah, it was one of those miracle things. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that I could get a TV work with my visa at the time. I didn't, you know, ah, God, I was so jealous. I was having so much fun because by the time I was already on, on hair and makeup and hear like the whole crew, you know, with amazing music and everybody was chatting with each other and some people was focusing, but you can feel like this, I guess it was, I, I guess I could feel my longing to create a community, a community like this for a certain amount time you know and that makes you go into a place of like I want to do that not just fucking do tv but it's like yo I want to create a, a family with the crew and the people that mm-hmm. I get to see every day because I have to be on set I think that's the best thing right I think that's why we like theater because you go in mm-hmm. see rehearsals you meet with the you know with everybody becomes we just have to deal with each other and I think that's the beautiful the beautiful part of it I think that's what I love the most about that the, the longing for me to be like what else can I do to be here more often you know what were you doing right before COVID happened I was I was in Boston I was about to I did I opened a show there and the second day we got shot we were looking at the TV I was like oh they haven't called us maybe maybe we're still gonna do the run today and half hour later they gave us a call and it's like no we're closing and the next day I was staying at my friend's Josh and he gave me a ride to the supermarket we bought a shit ton of food and then he drove me to New York <gasps> that's what happened I was performing and that's it <laughs> I had my opening night and then that was it <laughs> So how did COVID 2020 affected you and you were teaching? So how did it affect you in both like your artist life and your teaching life? You know, for a while, my therapist was asking me to have a day off and the two weeks turned into, you know, we all know this story. But uh, I kind of, I kind of allow myself to just, you know, I think it was the best opportunity for me, despite of all the given circumstances that we were living at time uh, to just what happens if I dedicate this time for myself and really investigate just to work on whatever I needed to heal so I did that's what I did oh my roommates left so I was the only one in the house for at least good four or five months till like June July something like that so I spent that whole time just teaching I was taking therapy running I was running a lot started to run a lot those days so I you know it was one of one of those things of complete change for me in many ways I was teaching so that also helped because teaching you know a lot of I don't want to say I don't 
want to talk about other people, but I had to change it for a deep self-care for all my kids. So as much as I wanted to teach uh, technique and structure and do this and do that, I, you know, I, I switch it for how can I, how can I help you within your own given circumstances and give you the tools that I, that I have for you to take care of yourself. You know, at the time people was moving with their parents. Uh, a lot of the kids, they live in the dorms. They move back home. Home sometimes is not a safe place for everybody. And that affects the way, you know, the way you work and the way you treat school, especially theater. So there was a shift of gears for me. So at the same time, I was working on myself and I had to make sure that I could share whatever I was learning to what, what was in front of me. What was the first like theater gig after things started coming a little bit back to normal? I, you know, I've been working on a solo show since 2019 and I got the chance to do it again online during the pandemic and we kind of recorded it live and then we started to put it online for people to see it. So by the time, I don't even know if we, you know, it sounds like we were really never out until last year, maybe technically, but not really. I think it was just those little performances to do in the streets. I think Inkara did a like small productions on the the city kind of like small protests like small stories around the city so that's kind of what I did but I was already out because of Honduras like the solo show that I've been doing I think uh, and then I did it again for people for the first time last summer during Pride no oh my god Lucy I work with uh with the this theater company the team they did a show during the pandemic that summer and it was the first show during the pandemic I know it because of the publicity. It was the first show during the pandemic and we did it outdoors. So we did like three, four performances of that in Brooklyn at the People's Garden. That was the first show I did. I remember though. I have a few things that you did. You talk about Honduras. It's a solo piece. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, uh, Honduras, it was written by Sarah Farrington. Sarah used to work with, well, Sarah's friend of <sighs> names, names. Well, Sarah started to work with a lot of artistic directors. She is the artistic director at the time. They both know each other. And uh, they were working together with Julie Colazzo. Julie Colazzo is the, right now, it's well, always been the founder of Immigrant Families Together. And they've heard about the story of Jenny, Jenny Gonzalez, which... Uh, they took her three kids away from her and there was this big story on times and they were just really frustrated about the situation they didn't know what to do so they decided to raise a shit ton of money connect with a lot of people around the country to because they found out how cheap it was bailing women that were detained on the border so they're like why, why not we just bail these women and we bring them to, to here to pick up their kids so they started to do that and Sarah started to work with Julie and uh, well, with this other artist. Oh, she's going to kill me. Anyway, uh, they started working together and that's how Sarah started to work on that play. So this plays real stories that happens while they were bringing these women from ICE detention to pick up their kids. But the big one was Jenny. They pick up Jenny. They bring them to Cayuga Center to pick up her kids. They help Jenny with publicity and things like that. And that's how 
uh, Julie Colazzo started to found, was the founder of the Immigrant Families Together. So during that summer, which it was the zero tolerance with Trump administration, 2018, they did around 70, they released around 70 women that summer. And then she wrote the play back in, I want to guess, between October and November. And then she reached out to me in December because we worked together before. I, I didn't do anything with her. I think I was like a rhino on a play. <laughs> I was working at the Flea, so I was a rhino. I had no lines. It was all physical shit. But she said she had a dream of me doing this play. And she asked me if I wanted to do it. I didn't know what it was. But I, my ego said yes because she said around, I don't know how many characters she said at the time, around 50. And I was like, yeah, sure, fuck it. I can do it. And then we met. We had like every other people I have met before, we had coffee. She gave me the script and I started reading it. And we had our first reading in January 2019. And then from that, people started to call on us. That's when another company, they asked us to see we could bring only, I thought it was the end of it, just the reading and that was it. But that reading took us to another festival asking us for only 15 minutes of the piece. So we both decided to put it in our feet for that piece and like back in March or something. And then that took us to the Chekhov Theater Festival that asked us for the entire piece. So that's when I started to find like who could help me as a mirror to develop this whole thing. Sarah, like she made some changes. So instead of 50 characters they turn into 31 and then since then we just haven't stopped we've been you know I every time I perform I'm like okay I guess that's it and then another theater and another theater I love this piece because the way it began I, I feel is the way this play has been alive because we don't sell it uh, people watch it and they ask us how can we bring this to blah 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 and we're like yeah, just just take us there and then we'll do it which I'm gonna do it again in April so coming back to New York again in April and then from that we'll see <laughs> maybe we'll come back maybe Maybe. I don't know. It's just one of those things people call me. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll start rehearsals tomorrow and then, you know, get it back on its feet. But if, if you look back, if I look back to all the pictures, dude, from 2019 to 2022, I'm a complete different and the same human being. Same with my artistry. So the piece keeps changing for me. It's kind of cool, really. I also saw that you have a political piece called Do You Believe Me Now? Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, do you believe me now? It's based based on a true story back from my city uh, when I was when I was 13. Uh, well, uh, you may not know this or know this, but Mexico has the highest rates, one of the highest rates of feminicides. So they ten they kill ten women a day in Mexico, which is one every three hours in the country and those are registered right we don't know really what's the actual number of that so my first encounter we have feminicides like a close one I was 13 years old and it was this girl from my city and I don't remember what happened in the newspapers but I remember what we all heard in school what happened to her she was one of the queens in the school she was older than me and I just never forget what these two guys did to her uh, it was so shocking to me that that it stuck with me I remember that was it and one day I came to Mexico for Christmas and for some reason uh, me and my friends we talked about that and sound like we all agree with how affected we were by that first impact of a feminicide in our lives and I don't know why one day I started to when I was running a lot during the pandemic I was catching myself looking at places and my brain used to go into like oh here's where I can get raped here's where I can get raped here you know so like I started to question it like oh wow women we are we are educated by with this 
red flag all the time. Wherever we walk, wherever we're looking at, if someone is following us, like by such a small age, we already have that radar. So for some reason, she came back into my mind after, because we, you know, I, I think I did that December and then the pandemic happened. So throughout that, I was looking up places and I was like, what if I do, what if, what if I write a movie that I don't bring any background story? I feel like a lot of the stories that bring feminicides or killing women, they had to bring the story so you feel bad for her if that happened because she was a good person. And some of the films, they kind of block out that scene and then they move forward so you know what happened. Usually those scenes, they place a hand in the shoulder or something happens, you're like, oh, they're gonna get right. And then they move forward with the movie. So I said, what if I just shoot a film with that action? And I leave it to and I leave it to the audience to decide what to think, what to feel. So that's kind of what I did. I only shoot the whole action of someone just getting into a cab, taxi driver, they see things, he thinks something, he ends up raping her, he ends up killing her and then throwing her into the lot. And then he leaves. That's all I did. And I said, that's it. No, it's so that people has no excuses, no creep, no nothing of like, well, she was wearing this. Well, she was drunk. She was blah, blah, blah. What if, what if they don't know anything? And that just happens. Can we just see it as an action of that? But that's really what it is. So I did it and I did it for her. I did it for her because during the pandemic, I also researched a little bit. There's no information about her anymore. There's only one article about what happened that day. Short information saying that, you know, that they're going to take to custody the two people that rape her that was 2002 and then eight years later you find another article that says that two of them were found not guilty which is same story as many other women living right now at this moment so that was me i submitted the i submitted the film around 50 60 festivals and at least 70 80 percent of those festivals said no to my film i tried i don't know i thought that that could be also an argument of like this is how politics works it's too much if there's no back background story you won't get selected sometimes it's too much so the viewer can't see it so you don't get selected you know so but it won it won a festival that was really nice to change a little bit the topic i saw in your bio that you have clown i didn't know about you tell me a little bit about that what the hell do they know (laughs) no one of the biggest reasons why I went to grad school, I know I didn't do anything about clowning, but I loved always Marcel Marceau, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. I had no clue. There is a certain love for them. Oh, I watched The Serpent of Two Masters and I fell in love with Trufaldino. And to me, I was like, oh, I want to do Trufaldino for the rest of my life. So when I was auditioning for grad school last, I had no fucking clue about any of and nothing of clown. I had no clue what clown meant or training, nothing. So when when I was accepted to grad school, I remember I looked up my master teacher and I said, you promise me you will make me a clown. And he racked up. He was like, sure, Valeria. Now that I know, I think clown is the center of everything. I think he's a root of creativity, is a root of truth, is a root of vulnerability, is is how we play, is the center of the way we play, is our personality, it's, a, it's our inner child. So when we let our inner child shine, something, a door opens and, uh, outside and in inside of us that is truly beautiful and wonderful I you know it's something that I keep it close to my heart I usually don't teach it unless people ask me to but um sometimes I use it for my own work if I have a stupid idea slash a routine I'll shoot it recently at school foundation they asked me to to see if I could work for them at a hospital for kids this is the first time I said yes to something like this so who knows what's gonna happen but um yeah I have a lot of things about clown but it's yeah I clown (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
sometimes when I'm too much into myself, I put the nose and then I walk around in the streets just to stay out of myself because sometimes being with yourself is not a good idea. <laughs> it's okay. It's just the acceptance of like, you know what, right now being with myself is not the safest place. I'm going to stay out with my nose, focus my energy out in nature and the birds, trees and see what else they can teach me out of my own ego and, you know, self not confidence. <laughs> Any current projects that you can talk about? Sure, sure, sure. So I, right now, I'm um, applying for grants. I just wrote a horror film. I'm still working on the rewrites for it, but I'm excited. I hope money. I hope I get some money so I can shoot that. I recorded a few pieces when I was in Mexico. So that's a piece that I have. I don't know when I need Duende to knock on my door. I've just been really busy right now, but it's a piece that I already have it shooted. I just need to edit and put things together. I created a piece called Eva Ava, with my good friend, Nicole Marquez. She's a cool Puerto Rican filmmaker so we did a short film at the beginning of January so we're editing that you know ready to send it to festivals and right now just auditioning I have Honduras happening in April and that's it that's it for now I think I always close with this question do you remember how we met Elvira I think it was the first day of auditions I think I met Greta that day that night we ended up walking together towards the train uh yeah I do remember They want to share your social media so people can follow you. Uh, Valeria 29. Okay, Valeria, thank you so much for your time. No, gracias por todo, pero estamos hablando.